0: Psalm 147, if you'll stand with me this morning, in reverence to God's Word, Psalm 147 says this, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving and make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain. For the earth, he makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. He begins Psalm 147 and he ends psalm 147 with these three words praise the lord praise the lord see praise is very fitting for our god he deserves praise we give him praise that is what we do when we gather on a sunday morning and we sing praises to his name That is what we do when we sit under the preaching of His Word and it excites our heart. That is what we do when we give to support missions. That is what we do when we go out into our community and share the Gospel with people. We give praise to the Lord. The psalmist says in verse 1, it is good to sing praises to our God. He says it is a good thing. It is something we should be engaged in. It is something that we should spend our time doing. He says it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. I don't think that there is a lot of doubt, at least in this room, that God should be praised that we should rejoice in what He has done and what He is doing. We desire to praise the Lord. Not all the time we go through our difficulties and we deal with those struggles, but, but overall, you and I as believers in Christ have a mindset that is geared toward praising God. What's so wonderful about this psalm that we have before us this morning is that it lays out for us why. Because we live in a day and age where that is a huge question. Why should someone praise God? Because I don't think people have a lot of trouble exploring reasons why not to praise God the skeptics of our age, those who do not believe in our God, do not have a lot of trouble pointing to the things around them, pointing to our society, pointing to the world and what is going on, and saying it's really really not necessary to praise God. But I want us to look as we walk through this psalm at these wonderful answers that the psalmist gives us the question of why we should praise God. I believe those answers are the reason that in verse 1, he tells us to praise God, he says it is a wonderful thing, but he doesn't want to leave it at that. And so he gives us all of this information, all of these reasons to praise God, and so he can exclaim at the end, very boldly, praise the Lord. Let's begin in verse 2. Why praise the Lord? First, because of His great works. And here they are many. First in verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathered the outcasts of Israel. Multiple times in the history of Israel, we see God building up Jerusalem. We see many times when they were outcasts, when they were either slaves in Egypt and God brought them out and eventually delivers them into the Promised Land, or whether it is later in Israel's history and they have become outcasts and slaves in Babylon, they have been carried off into captivity and God brings them back. God allows them to, as we see in the book of Nehemiah, rebuild the walls of the city. He restores them to that place that they held so dear. Jerusalem, that great city that even today, thousands of years later, is still a place that is greatly disputed. It is seen as one of the holy cities for three of the world's major religions. And two of those religions still are still up in arms over that city. It's still a divided city. It's such a disputed place that, that where Solomon built his temple, the temple where God dwelt, which has since been torn down, now what sits on top of that ruin is a mosque. It's not by accident that the Muslims would put their place of worship on top of the Jewish place of worship. Why? Because Jerusalem is a disputed city. It is an important place in the world. And the psalmist here says that God deserves to be praised because He has built up Jerusalem and He has gathered the outcasts of Israel. He has brought His people to the place of promise. They were scattered out. They were scattered around the world and He has brought them to this place that He had promised them. This place that if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God promises to Abraham and his descendants. For the psalmist, it is a great work that God has gathered His people. It's a great work that while they were outcasts, God has brought them to Himself how great it is for us that that while we also have been outcasts, while we have been far off from God, He has brought brought us to Himself. He has not brought us to a physical location where we dwell with Him in some physical form as the Jews would have thought of with the temple where God's presence rested, but rather we were far away from Him in our sin. We were far away from Him And he brought us back. He brought us to himself. This is a great work. And through it, we should praise God. Secondly, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God provides relief for those who are hurting. Definitely those who had been the outcast who were far away from God and wanted to be in Jerusalem, they were brokenhearted. The Jews had suffered many wounds. They had been through great trials and tribulations from the time that God had promised them this land that they would have until this moment when God has brought them back. He comes in in the times where we are hurting, in the times where we are down, in the times when we are suffering, and God heals us. God binds up our wounds. He gives us deliverance from our sorrows. He gives us deliverance from the things that are causing us such trouble. It's a great work to see what God has done. Because it's something that we can't do on our own. You and I understand that when when we reach those low points in our life, when we are suffering the greatest sorrow, it is only through God and what He has done that we find our healing. It is not in the words of others. It's not even in the encouragement of others. But in the end, we find our healing in Christ. Thirdly, His works extend beyond His dealing with us. And we see His amazing and great works in creation. In verse 4, He determines the number of the stars and He gives all of them their name. I love when you hear someone give their estimate on how many stars there are. Because if you have ever seen that, it's, it's billions upon billions. and it, Maybe it's trillions upon trillions. It's always one of those numbers that is written with a scientific notation. You know, 1.35 times 10 to the whatever. And I just took some of you all back to a very dark place in school. I'm sorry for that. But it's a guess, right? I mean, we all understand that. That it's, it's at best an estimate of how many stars there are. Because if you, if you ever go out at night in a place that is dark where you can see the sky and you begin to look at the stars, not try to count them, just look at them, the longer you look, the more time that your eyes have to adjust to being outside in the darkness looking at these stars, the more stars that appear. And the longer you lay there, the more stars you will begin to see. And eventually, you get to the point where the whole sky seems to be illuminated by these heavenly bodies that are millions and millions of light years away. Their distance from us is incomprehensible. And yet, God knows exactly how many there are. He doesn't have to write it in scientific notation. He could write it out to the exact number. Because he put them there. When he spoke out of the darkness, and he put these things in place, he knew exactly how many there were. We we don't even come close to beginning to understand how they are. It's always amazing to me that when you go out and you look at a star, because of the way that light travels, what you are seeing is something that God did a long time ago. You're, you're not seeing the star right then. As a matter of fact, when you go out today, you see this light that is outside of us. If I remember correctly, it takes around eight minutes or something for light to travel from our sun to this earth. So you are seeing something that God has done in the past and is showing it to us right now. We can't even begin to comprehend that. But God knows the number of the stars. In the second part of verse 4, He gives to all of them their names. We can't even count them. We can't even figure out how many of them there are. And God has named each And every one. Friends, that is something that should cause us to praise God. He knows the names of stars that no human eye has ever seen. He has that much care in the detail of His creation. Friends, that gives us something to praise our God. He cares that much verse 5 he <coughs> excuse me he is great and abundant in power his understanding is beyond measure God's power is never ending He's abundant in it. It it never goes away. It, It never expires. He never rests. He never sleeps. He is constantly in care over us and His creation. He is constantly at work in the lives of His people. God's power does not end, and neither does His wisdom. God knows all that's going on. God knows what is happening around us. You know, we're very limited. We're very limited in our knowledge of the world. We're extremely limited in our knowledge of the future. We can lay plans that are disrupted and can be disrupted immediately. We can lay out our lives before us and know where we want to go and what we want to do. And the smallest thing can interrupt that very quickly. But God's wisdom is beyond measure. It cannot be interrupted. It cannot be disrupted. As a matter of fact, if we go on into verse 8, he shows. He shows exactly how vast God's knowledge is. He says in verse 8, He covers the heavens with clouds, and He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. Think about that. God is concerned about the growing of the grass. If you, again, to take one of those scary trips back to school, if you remember the life cycle, if you get down to the bottom of it, it seems like a lot of that kind of revolves around grass. Grass. A lot of you and a lot of us like to eat things that eat grass. My supper last night, one time ate grass. And I'm very glad that it did because it was a tasty supper. And God cares about that. God put things in motion that would cause the earth to be prepared for the rain. But He goes further than that. He says at the beginning of verse 8, He covers the heavens with clouds. God makes the clouds that provide the rain that grow the grass. In verse 9, it gives the beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. A bird. A bird that really has little value to us. And here God is very carefully crafting the order of the world to where the needs of his creation are taken care of. It doesn't just say that here that he, he cares about us. I, I think sometimes as human beings we, we get this mindset that, that all God ever thinks about is us. And it's true that he has done more for us and given us more than anything else, but he created all that is. He created some of those weird animals that live in places that you and I have never been and they do weird things and he cares about them and he made them. And you and I may not understand what he was thinking when he made them, but he did. You know, why are there animals that have long noses that stick them down in holes and eat ants? I don't know. But God thought we needed them. And so he made them. He didn't just make them and leave them. He continues to care for them and that shows His greatness to us. Because if He cares for these, these lowly parts of creation, how much more does He care for you and I who He has made in His image? Therefore, we should praise God. If you skip down to verse 12 and we'll come back to verses 10 and 11 in just a moment, I want to wrap up this section. He gives us just a couple more things here. He says He strengthens the bars of your gates in verse 13. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. God here provides for our security. It's interesting that the psalm we looked at just a couple of weeks ago talked about our inability to secure ourselves and here this psalm come and comes and reminds us that god provides for us our security he strengthens these bars he provides for our children he makes peace he provides for our physical needs there with the finest of the wheat god cares about our security He cares about taking care of our needs. For the people to whom this psalmist is writing, having a secure city, a peaceful city where there was much food, would have been one of the highest priorities that they had. You and I may have a slightly different set of priorities in our life, but we should understand that God still cares for them greatly. That He doesn't passes by he doesn't overlook the things that we have going on but he knows them intimately and he cares for them so our God is worthy to be praised because of his great works and friends they are many we could go on and on this list could go on forever All we would have to do is walk outside and begin to admire what God has painted before us. What His hand has crafted through His Word. We were just in Morganton yesterday, and that's by no means being in the mountains. But it was just close enough. As we were at the middle school there and you come up to the top of the hill Scott Huffman gets to see it every day when he goes to work and just off the back of that school just you could see western north carolina and you could see the beauty of what god has done here you know, I've never seen the rockies in person or any of those supposedly big mountains I don't need them because what god has made for us right here is so wonderful that it could, we could take a lifetime just describing The greatness of His creation. So we praise God because of His great works. But secondly here, we'll go back to verses 10 and 11. We want to praise God because of His great character. We praise Him because of His great works, and now we praise Him because of His great character. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor His pleasure in the legs of man, But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So often in the time in which the psalmist is writing, your strength was based on the power of your military. If you had a strong military, you could go and conquer other people, you could take what you wanted, and you could survive. If you had a weak military, you would often be conquered. Your men would be killed, and your lands would be taken. And so strength and prestige were based upon your power. The power of your horses. The power of your men. But God doesn't look at it like that. The Lord takes pleasure in something else. His pleasure is not in our strength, it is not in our power, it is not in our great ability. And we, above all else, should be thankful for that. Because in the end, in comparison to God, we have no strength, we have no ability, we have no skills, we have nothing that's going to get us by. We have no redeeming qualities that God is going to look at and be impressed. I'm sorry if that ruins anything for you, but that's the reality, We don't. None of us have that. But luckily, it's not what our God looks at. The Lord, verse 11, takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Fear here is not talking about being afraid. It's not talking about cowering in fear. Fear here talks about our respect for the Lord and who He is. The reality that he is holy, the reality that he is powerful. How interesting that God takes pleasure in that. He also takes pleasure in those who hope in his steadfast love. His love doesn't fail. His love doesn't stop. His love doesn't end. And yet so often we live our lives as if there is a breaking point for God's love, that there is a point that it stops at, that it only goes so far. We, we've heard this if you've ever talking with someone who is deeply rooted in sin and you share with them the gospel of Christ, and you tell them about His love, the response that so many have is, God could not forgive someone like me. I've done too much. I've went too far. You explain to them the love of God, and they say, but I've done this. And yet, you and I realize that if we read through the pages of God's word, we find countless examples of people who were deeply, deeply rooted in sin, and God called them out. God delivered them from their sin, He delivered them from the darkness that they were in, and He did so because His love is steadfast and never ends, it never fails. There is no point in this life where we have gone too far from God. And so God takes pleasure in those who realize that His love doesn't end. He takes pleasure in those who find their hope in His love. Not in themselves. Not in the things that they have done. Not in their works, not in their righteousness, but they find their hope in Him. And friends, you and I should praise God for that because there is hope no other place. There's nowhere else we can go to find hope. We can't find it in a church, we can't find it in our friends, we can't find it in our families. There is hope nowhere else. so how great it is that you and I have access to the only place there is hope if you go back into verse 6 he says the Lord lifts up the humble he casts the wicked to the ground and he ends the next section with the hope in his steadfast love friends you and I must humble ourselves before God. We must realize that we are incapable on our own of doing anything. It's so hard for us to do because sin has brought into our life this desire to do it on our own. This desire to think we know better than God. This desire to try to work it out and not get anyone else involved in it. But God wants us to humble ourselves and fall on Him. Friends, we should praise God because that is His character. That we don't have to do it on our own. And that God doesn't want us to do it on our own. He doesn't turn it over to us and tell us to get the job done and come back to Him when we're finished. Rather, He tells us to come just as we are. To come in our sin, to come in our shortcomings and come to him and he will transform our lives. When we try to do it on our own, we try to do it in the strength that we have, God takes no pleasure in that. Again, if we look throughout the scriptures, every time someone attempted to do it in their own power, They failed miserably. Many times they fell deeply into sin because they attempted to go through this life and to do the things of God without God involved. Our God is not like that, and we should praise His great character. Thirdly here, as we look in verse 15, we praise Him because of His works, and we praise Him because of His great character, and then thirdly, we praise Him because of His great Word. He ends his psalm with an emphasis on God's Word. He says He sends out His command to the earth. His Word runs swiftly. This Word, the first word that He talks about here, is what He does in creation his Word both causes creation to exist and then also causes it to function. Look at what we see here. This is, it's, uh, we've had the life cycle and this is almost like weather patterns that we're having here that the psalmist is talking about. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down His crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before His cold? God sends these things And they're all related to wintertime or or cold. To it being cold outside. God does this by His Word. He has spoken and this happens. This this weather pattern comes about. And what can you do about it? We try our best when it snows to get shovels out and scrape off the driveway or the plows come down Highway 70 and they throw snow everywhere. But what can you really do about it? When it's cold, what, what can you do about it? I guess we could maybe have a little more global warming and that might help it not be as cold, but it doesn't seem to be working out real well. What can you do? Nothing. There's nothing you can do about the temperature today. You got no choice in the matter. We're going to the mountains in a couple weekends and I'm beginning to watch to see what the temperature is going to be because we have to plan for what it's going to be. We don't get to go up there and say, you know what, I want it to be 75 and partly cloudy today. Because that would be every day, frankly, if I had the chance of what the weather was, it would be 75 and partly cloudy, 365 days a year. That's not how it works. Who can stand before his cold? Nobody. But what does he do? Look in verse 18. He sends out his word. It comes out again. The word of God has come and everything is cold. Now the word of God comes again. And it melts them away. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. Everything was cold. Now the word of God comes and everything falls out. The water begins to flow again. The wind is blowing. It dries up where everything was wet. God has that much control. Think about it. We have no ability to do any of that. We have no ability to control what's going on in the world around us. We have no ability to control the wind and the rain and the storms. We have none of that. And yet, if you were to flip just a few pages, you would find this man who is asleep in the bottom of a boat. And there's a storm raging around him. There's there's nothing that his fellow shipmen can do the the other guys on the ship can do nothing about what's going on and this guy is asleep in the bottom of the boat so they come to him and they begin to shake him they want him to get up because the ship's going to tear apart and they're all going to drown and he's going to have slept through it so they wake him up and he goes to the front of the boat and he uses words He speaks. And when he speaks, the storm stops. He wasn't concerned. He wasn't that worried. But he spoke his words, and the storm stopped. Of course, if you're familiar with that story, you know that that was Jesus. And his disciples were scared. They were scared before, when the storm was going on, and when Jesus walked to the front of the boat and he spoke those words and the storm stopped, they were scared again. And I don't know, maybe more scared this time. And they asked themselves, who is this man that even the wind and the waves listened to him? He was God. And as God, he could speak and he could control the things going on around him. And for that, our God is worthy to be praised. That He can speak and the storms stop. second part of this. In talking about His Word. Verse 19, He declares His Word to Jacob, His statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know His rules. Praise the Lord. Not only do God's words create, not only do they control what is going on, but His words bring people into a relationship with Him. Friends, I think it is not by chance that the psalmist waits till the end to use these words because he reflects back on what God has done in his relationship with his people, what God has done in his relationship with Jacob and the people of Israel. And he realizes that God has sent His Word to them. That God has given them this relationship. He has given him His statutes and rules, and so often when you and I read that, we think it's a bad thing. We think about the law. And I think we miss what it is. We, we think about God's rules and we, we go through the Old Testament and if you ever get bogged down in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I mean, you're going to spend some time and you're going to read some crazy rules. But you know, the people that heard that, they didn't get bummed because God's given us another rule. There's, there's God telling us something else we've got to do. We see them receive His statutes and His commands. And they do so, and they can have joy. Because when they, they hear these things, they hear about the character of their God. Their God who cares enough about them to speak to them. They're God who cares enough about them to, to tell them what He wants from them. To tell them who He is and what He is doing and how He relates with the world around them. How exciting it is to hear from God. How exciting it is to know what God has said to us. Because friends, there are billions of people today who will fall down and worship in front of false idols who have never spoken. Who have never said anything. Think about our fellow humans who who will worship false gods today that, that tell them to destroy life. Or who have twisted and changed around what God has said to where it is no longer an accurate depiction of who God is and what He has done for us. Friends, billions... Billions live that way. Never having heard a word from the Lord. He says in verse 20, He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know His rules. You know, we we get this in our mind that rules are bad. We we get in our mind that, that discipline is bad. And yet, here, the psalmist praises God because he knows His rules. Friends, you and I can know and have a relationship with God because He has given us His Word. He's not given it to anyone else. There is no path to God through any other religion, through any other attempt. There is no name under heaven which anyone is saved other than Christ, the blessed Word of God. When we read these things that God has done for us, when we read His Word, when we know His rules and His statutes, when we know the commands of God, it is something that should cause us to rejoice. They're a great blessing. And He has given them to us. I think about even the presence of His written Word. You know, my house is full of these. My office is full of these. And yet some places in the world, they treasure as their most prized possession A single page from this book. What would happen to us as a church? What would happen to you as a believer in Christ if you had that love for His Word? That you cherished it and treasured it because it is a great blessing and it causes us to praise the Lord. Friends, our God is worthy to be praised. He has done great works. He has done great works in His Word. He has done great works throughout history. He has done great works in our presence. He has a great character that does not demand of us things that we cannot live up to, but rather calls us to come to Him freely receiving what He has given. And He's given us a great word, a word that is created. We go to John chapter 1 and we see that all that is and all that ever has been, all that was made was made through Christ. But not only that, He gives us a word that has come to us. It instructs us about who He is. It helps us to know Him and to love Him and to follow Him. It helps us to be that type of person who He takes great pleasure in, one who fears Him and one who has hope in His steadfast love. My question for you this morning is, do you praise Him? Do you praise Him for the things that He is worthy? It's easy for you and I to get caught up in our lives and all the things that are going on. It is easy for us to dedicate just a portion of our time to Him. But this psalm describes to me a God who is worthy of constant praise. Who is worthy of praise in the morning, in the evening. A God who is worthy of our praise all the time. He deserves it. There is none other. There is no one else who could compare. So I would ask you this morning, Do you see in your life that it is good to sing praises to our God? Do you find it pleasant? Do you find that in your life a song of praise is fitting? Because if not, if not, read these words. How can you come away? How can you come away from this? and not be ready to give God the praise he deserves. He is given us more abundantly than we could ever imagine. I want to promise you that it will transform your life and our church when we praise God for those things that he so richly deserves. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful that we can come into your presence. We can gather together because you have not only made us through your word, but you have called us to yourself. You allow us to come even in our unworthiness. And God, you speak. You speak to our hearts and you speak to our soul. And God, you speak so clearly. God, I would believe in a room this size that there are those here who don't know you. God, let these words from this psalm be a testimony to what you have done a testimony to your redemptive power. God, that you call us out of our sin and through Christ you give us life. You bring us to your dwelling place, the the place that you are. You give us life and hope in your steadfast love. God, if there's one here this morning, God, who has heard this message, God, they've heard your word. Lord, I pray that you impress upon them the need they have today for you. God, for so many others who know you, they... God, if they're like me, they struggle with praise. God, help us to be a people. A people who praise you. A people who praise your works and your character and your word, God. Help us to praise you in our coming and going in the morning and the evening. God, help us as a people to praise you more because, God, you deserve it. God, we were unworthy and you gave us life. God, we want to praise you for that. Lord, be with us during this time. God, we ask for your spirit to move we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we're going to sing. Would you respond? You know, we we go through darkness and we go through trials and, and times get tough. But the testimony that we have to the world is what we do with those times. How we respond. What God does in our life when it seems like everything is falling down, everything is going badly. We need to praise him. We need to, to, to testify to what he has done and get excited about his character and his work. Maybe this morning God's working on you with that. Whatever it is, you, you come as, as we sing.